Hey guys, so we've said this a couple different ways uh, today. Pastor Ivan mentioned it. We mentioned it in worship. Today is Mother's Day, and so happy Mother's Day. I would like to honor the moms right now. So if you are a mom, could you just raise your hand high right now? Raise it high, leave it there. Hey, church family, can we give it up for these moms? Let's show them some love in the house. Love our mamas, and we honor them today. I want to honor. Uh, I want to honor my mom. She is very active in her home church, which is much closer to her house. But every week, she goes on Facebook and watches the sermons, or just about every week. And so, mom, love you, honor you. To my wife, uh, she was the one who was leading us in that last song. I honor her as well. And so, we love our mamas. We love you guys. So so much that we've distorted my voice. No, I'm just kidding. We love you guys so much that we have a gift for you. And so on your way out, and listen, this is for moms, and this is for those who are spiritual mamas, who are mentors. This is for those who are mamas in the classroom. And a mom can be a mom in many, many different ways. And so uh, really, we got enough so that all of you ladies could have one of these today. Uh, we think you're the bomb, the bomb, B-A-L-M. Uh, and so on your way out today, super corny. I know somebody laughed. Thank you. Um, so anyway, on your way out today, we got these. And it is apparently, I, I just do the plain chapstick, but apparently you ladies, this is EOS. So this is top shelf stuff and it's organic. So they dug it up right out of the dirt and they got that for you. So anyway, we got one of those for you. And also, some of you guys know this. I saw that there was a long line. Uh, some of you maybe don't know. But we have Craig Ladd Photography in the house. And uh, he's taking pictures. And so, moms, that's going to... We, we originally were going to do it outside. I don't know if you guys saw the Facebook Live we did this morning. The flowers are beautiful out there and such a beautiful campus here at UMO. And so we had every intention of taking some nice Mother's Day photos outside and really just family photos. It's for, you know, anybody and everybody. And, uh, and we saw that there was a chance of afternoon thunderstorms earlier this week. And we thought... We're going to be done before the afternoon. And then we saw today that at like 11 or 12 o'clock, there was a 40% chance of rain. And so we thought, we'll be, you know, that'll be fine. We'll just make a video. Tell them to get here early. And then many of you got here early in the rain. And so God bless you guys. And uh, anyway, raining like crazy. And so we set up our, our plan B. It's in that back hallway by where Bridge Kids is. If you go uh, if you get to that back hallway, to your right is Bridge Kids, and then to your left is the, is the photo booth. And so that's set up. And so I want to encourage you to grab a photo after church, okay? All right. Well, here's what I know about moms. Y you mothers, you guys parent a little bit differently than we do as dads. And I say that as a father. Uh, you guys are so loving and so nurturing, and, and kids need that. That's really, really good. And uh, I thought about talking a little bit about the difference between a mom and a dad, but I thought instead what I would do is I would just show you some pictures. I would show you some, some pictures to kind of help illustrate the difference. Uh, one thing I know, and don't put them up there yet. I'll, I'll call for them. One thing I know is that even when you have kids, 
As a parent, you still got to get stuff done. Life doesn't stop because you had kids. And so sometimes you need to get some stuff done. You need to be working and the kids there with you. And so we figured it out. And so go ahead and show them that first picture. Yes, yeah, so there's <laughs> mom holding the baby. And dad's like, hey, I'm going to mow the grass. You just hang out right here. <laughs> go ahead and show them the next picture. <clears throat> this is mom and dad playing with the kids. Now, moms, you guys are like down on the floor with the children. Dads are like, I played and the kid was there. So I played with the child and then show them the last picture. I burst out laughing when I saw this one. <laughs> Shopping with kids. I want to draw your attention to something. I love how in this picture, the mom is just so carefully reading the nutritional label, making sure there's no red food dye or gluten in this meal. And she's got a hand on the car. I mean, just very protective. Got her purse hanging, very well organized. And then the dad's like, hang in there, kid. You can still breathe, right? Got a few more things to get. So anyway, I laughed at that harder than I probably should have this week when I saw that. And I know some of you guys are right now, I see some of the dads going, well, that's not how I do it. That, and so please don't email me. Don't email me. This is a stereotype. This is just to be fun and funny. And so I know that there are a lot of good dads in the house, but we're just having a little fun today and honoring mom. And actually for the past few weeks, that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about stereotypes. We've been in this sermon series called Church Is. And the first week we looked at the stereotype that the church is full of hypocrites. And then last Sunday, we looked at the stereotype that the church is just about money. That's all church cares about is about money. And so if for whatever reason you missed any of those sermons, uh, you can watch them on Facebook Live. You can email me and I'll get you the notes. And, uh, and so we've been looking at some stereotypes. Today, I don't even want to tell you what we're talking about. I don't want to tell you. So I don't know what to do right now. I don't want to tell you what we're talking about because some of you are going to think I'm joking. And I know I'm a little bit of a jokester. And, and then the rest of the room, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. All right? And so, but I promise you, I'm not joking and I'm not crazy. The moms are in the house, so I promise to be on my best behavior. Today, I want to talk to you about the stereotype that the church is just a building. That the church is just a building. And I know we're portable. And I know we don't even own a church. <laughs> we don't even have a building. But here's why this is so important to talk about even now before we get a building. is because when you ask people, when you talk to people, when you say you're going to church... For most of them, what they picture in their minds is they picture a building. They picture a building. Some of them picture a building with a steeple or a building with a marquee sign out front, whatever the case might be, but they picture a place. And I want you to know this morning, I want us to all be on the same page, that that is the church building, but that is not the church. And so this is so important for, for many reasons. Number one, because one day we will have a building. Now, I thought the setup team might have said amen right there. 
All right, I'm gonna, you missed a chance, so I'm going to just say that again. One day we will have a building. Amen. Amen. Yeah, there you go. And because our perspective about how we look at this is so important. And I, I want to flesh that out in this message. I want to begin today by looking at Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your word and you want to go ahead and open that, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And in this portion of scripture, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is talking here and, uh, and, and he's teaching and he, he does something really incredible. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus introduces the church. He says church for the very first time in all of scripture. So maybe you didn't realize that, but if you go to the Old Testament, if you look in Genesis through Malachi, the word church is never mentioned. Now there was the temple system and there was the sacrificial system and there was all those things that were in place, but the church was never mentioned. That's because when Jesus came, he didn't come to do the old system 2.0. He didn't come to make a tweak. He came to start something completely new. And so he's introducing this to his disciples on this day. There he and his disciples are. They're at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says the word church for the first time. Because Jesus understood something. That all throughout his ministry here on this earth, there were questions and really, it was one central question. And that question is, who is this guy? Who, who is this Jesus? After he would get done teaching, after he would perform a miracle, after, after he would heal someone, after he did all the numerous things that we see him doing in the Gospels, invariably, the question became, who is this guy? Is he a rabbi? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Who is he? Because I don't know about you, but for most of us, what we like to do is we like to have a category. We like to kind of figure people out, know who they are, what they're about, and we like to place them in a category. We, we want to put them there. But Jesus didn't fit very well in any of the categories that they had. They would think, oh, he's just a teacher. And then he would do something else, and they would say, well, that is right, but that's only part of it. And so, so the question surrounded him, who is this guy? And on this day in Matthew chapter 16, with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus decides to confront this question head on. He's going to confront it head on. We're going to pick up in verse 13. He asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Who, who do people think that I am? Well, they jump right into it. They're like, well, Jesus, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I mean, they don't have to waste any time because this is a question that people have been asking them for weeks and months and years. And so it's like, well, how much time do you have, Jesus? Who do people say that I am? Well, let me, let me unfurl the scroll. Well, some think you're John the Baptist and others Elijah. And so they begin to just kind of rapid fire, go through all these ideas and misconceptions about who Jesus is. And then in verse 15, he says, okay, let's, let's zoom in a minute, guys. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Who do you 
say I am. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that that is the most important question you will ever answer? Who do you say that Jesus is? I don't want to, I don't want to overemphasize this, but I can't. All of eternity hinges on your answer to that question. All of eternity. Who do we say that Jesus is? And we can't say one thing and then live a different way. That doesn't work. God sees through all that. He knows our heart. And so the question becomes, who do you say that I am? Jesus asks his disciples this. And what happens next is one of the most important events recorded in all of human history. Definitely one of the most important events in all of Scripture. Peter answers. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Hey Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. Now we know that. We, we know that to be true. If you've read this chapter in the Bible, if you've read the New Testament, if you have gone to church pretty much at all in your life, you know that this is what Christians believe. This is what Christ said about himself. And this is what we believe. But pause for a second. I want you to put yourself in those disciples' place that day. For months, for years, there's been all this confusion around Jesus. Who is this guy? And people have given ideas, and the disciples wondered, well, maybe that's right. I mean, I'm not really sure myself. And so there's all these ideas swirling around about who Jesus is. And Peter just bursts right in. I love that about Peter. If you read the Gospels, you see Peter is a leap first, look second kind of guy. He's like, hey, let's, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. Peter is bold. Sometimes that works out for him. Sometimes it doesn't. They, the disciples were on a boat one night, and Jesus is walking on water. Peter says, hey, that's pretty cool. I want to do that. Jesus calls him out of the boat. He says, okay, come. Peter walks on water. Only human ever to do it except for Jesus. He walks on water. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know that he took his eyes off Jesus. He ultimately began to sink. But for a few seconds, he walked on water because he had that bold faith. He wasn't scared to ask and to go after something. And, and then again, so that's the time where it worked out for him. But then again, there's some times where it got him in trouble. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night Jesus was being betrayed, the Roman officials came, and they came to get Jesus. And Peter says, shing! He unsheaths his sword. He starts fighting, chops off a Roman guard's ear. Jesus says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? This is not how we need this to be. And so Jesus heals the guy, but... But here's what I'm saying to you. Peter is a leap first, look second kind of guy. And so in the midst of all of that and not really sure, all the other disciples, when Jesus said that, I just picture them going, uh, do you want to answer that? Peter jumps up. 
You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Go down to verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There it is right there. Verse 18. There's our word. Church. First time it's ever been said. First time Jesus has ever talked about it. On this rock, I will build my church. And the thing that I love about this instance is that when Jesus talks about the church, he does it in the form of a prediction, really in the form of a prophecy. He says, I'm going to build it and nothing can stop it. The Hades can't stop it. The devil can't stop it. Nothing that humans could do could stop it. Hey guys, can I remind you of something this morning? We're on the winning side. When we read Revelation, when we see the teaching of Jesus, we understand something. We know that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen? I think some of you are here this morning and you're hurting. Maybe this is a tough day for you because this is the first Mother's Day that mom's not there. Or this is the first Mother's Day that grandma is not there. Or, or maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe you're just facing a storm or you're in a dark place in your life. And I believe wholeheartedly that you came here for God to encourage you today and to tell you, that history is still being written, and, and we're never, we were never promised that it was going to be all sunshine and rainbows. But I can tell you unequivocally that we win in the end, that God is faithful. As a matter of fact, Scripture promises us in, in Romans 8.28 that everything, everything that we go through, everything in our lives works together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, of those who are a part of the church. God works all those things for our good. We are on the winning side. I also want to show you in verse 18 that not only is there this prediction, there's, there's also maybe even a little bit of confusion because Jesus promises, Jesus predicts, on this rock I will build my church. And so some people think, and there's a, a little bit of a misunderstanding there, that he was talking about through Peter, he was going to build his church. That, that's actually not what Jesus is referring to. He's talking about Peter's answer, or really Peter's admission from verse 16, that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. God is going to build his church on the foundation of Jesus and the perfect life and work of Jesus. And we know that through Scripture. So the best interpreter of Scripture is what? Okay, let me teach you guys that and then we'll say it in just a minute. The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. It's not what I think or what you think or what some scholar thinks. The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. Some of you guys, hey, wake up. 
The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. And so we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. It says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Read that next part with me. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the rock on which God is going to build the church and on which God has built the church. He is the chief cornerstone. And let me just finish it out. Verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So if you're anything like me, I don't know much about first century architecture. I don't know if you guys are any good at that, but this was before the invention of concrete. Now, concrete's a wonderful thing. Anytime people get ready to build a house, what do they do? They dig out a footer, they pour a concrete foundation, and then they build from there. Or they put a concrete slab down and they build from there, but it starts with concrete. Well, well, back in these days, there was no concrete. And so what did you do? When you got ready to build something, these master builders, what they would do is they would go down to the rock quarry. And, and at the rock quarry, these guys were chiseling and shaping these large rocks, granite rocks, all kinds of rocks. They would shape them into the form of brick, into the form of a brick. And these master builders They would go and they would size these bricks up and make sure that they were straight and level and make sure that they were square. There was a lot of time and effort and energy put in to making sure you found the right cornerstone. Making sure that this chief cornerstone was going to be good because what happened was from there... Every other stone, every other brick was laid in relation to the chief cornerstone. And so when you got ready to lay a brick down there, they would look and they would size it up with the cornerstone and they would tell you up a little bit, no back. Yep, now that's level, that looks good. And so all of it was based, every other brick was based on the location of that cornerstone piece. Guys, when we see in Ephesians 2 and when we see in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus promises that on this rock I will build my church, that ought to cause excitement in us because he's building on a perfect foundation. He is building on the finished work, the perfect life of Jesus. And so with all of that in mind and with the time I have left, and I know how much time I have left, I want to give you two reasons the church can't be a building. Two reasons the church can't be a building. Number one, because Jesus said it was people. Here's what I almost made this point. Because Jesus said so. I mean, that just feels right. It's Mother's Day. Parenting, we all know this is the parent's favorite thing to say. Because I said so. You parents, can y'all back me up? Have you, have you ever said that because I said so? Yeah. How many of you have said that this week? Okay, yeah. Many of you. I've got a four-year-old. And so I, am const- I feel like I'm constantly pay- playing 21 questions. What are we going to do next? Why? 
Is anybody coming to the house? Why? What's after that? Ah! Because I said so. So we're in the living room yesterday, and uh, I didn't realize Nicole could hear me, and Mason is asking me all these questions, and I'm just trying to watch TV, kid. You know, we've already been outside. I've already played with you. That's horrible. I know, I know. And so I just looked over at him at one point and said, how many words do you think you say a day? And I hear Nicole in our room go, got to remember to keep my voice down. So anyway, number one, because Jesus said so. That's why Jesus said so. Here we go. Back to the church. Matthew 16, in verse 18, when Jesus introduces this concept of church, he uses the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia. And so where we see church, these first century disciples, when they heard Jesus teach, they would have known They would have known that word. That was not an unfamiliar word. Jesus was just redeeming it, and he was going to use it in a sacred way. You would have all kinds of ecclesias. If you needed to have a town meeting about something or, or, you know, whatever, you would call an ecclesia. But by using this word, Jesus is showing that his intent has always been for the church to be a people and not a place. For the church to be a who and not a where. Buildings facilitate the role of God's people. They don't fulfill it. I'll say that one more time for the note takers. Buildings facilitate the role of God's people. They don't fulfill it. So I've shared with you before, I came to the bridge when I was in seventh grade. And uh, I don't know exactly when the power team came, but it was sometime pretty quick after I came to the bridge because I was right around middle school age, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. And so if you're unfamiliar with the power team, basically it's this group of just great, big old, jacked up, burly guys, and they just break stuff and destroy stuff and pop stuff, and, <laughs> and they do it for Jesus. And I am like, coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, I'm in middle school. And uh, and so that we had them, we hosted them. And every night they would break stuff and they would pause and they would talk about Jesus. And then they would break some more stuff. And then at the end of every night, it was an altar call. So it was really in a way kind of like a revival. And uh, one, of the, one of the neatest things happened. Every night, because I talked my mom into going every single night, but every night the place was packed. I mean, there were so many people there. And every night people were making decisions for Jesus. They were getting saved. And I'll never forget, a couple weeks later, the senior pastor at the time, he stood up in the pulpit and I was shocked by what he said next, but I'll never forget it. He said, guys, listen, a couple weeks ago, we had the power team here and where they broke the cinder blocks, we just didn't anticipate how far cinder block pieces would fly. And so if you, you know, on the stage, there are some places where the carpet is messed up. And I hate that. Nobody intended that to happen. But but you just need to know that happened and, and we don't have money to replace it. We're not going to replace it, but, 
There's others of you that you are seeing the, the marks in the hallway because you guys know if you've ever been to a school or you've ever had kids, what do kids do when they walk down the hallway? Put their hand against the wall. And so then there's, you know, just a perfect marking about three foot off the wall the whole way down where kids, they're just always kind of dirty. And he said, there's, there's stains in the youth room. And I know, I know that is upsetting to some of you. And listen, we're, we're going to try our best to keep this church building up and to keep it looking good. But guys, we can either, we can either be mad and upset about the fact that there's chips in the carpet and stains on the wall in the hallway. Or we can celebrate the fact that God has trusted us with these young people. We can celebrate the fact that the next generation is coming here and we have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And when I heard that that day, it clicked for me. And, and at that point, I was still young. I had not been called into the ministry yet. I, but I thought, that's what church ought to be about. That, and so there's this perspective, and I'm, I'm trying my best to put it into words, and I don't know how good of a job I did, but I, I want to show you my best effort. This perspective difference. Go ahead and put the next slide up. When we look at the church, just the first one, if you don't mind, when we look at the church as the building, we take care of it at the expense of the people. <laughs> We're going to make y'all work for it today, baby. When we look at the church as the building, we take care of it at the expense of the people. We got to keep it clean. And so if your group's going to make a mess or if your group's going to we're going to ask your ministry to meet somewhere else. We're going to put you guys in a, a facility that may not be as well. So we're going to take care of it at the expense of the people. Here, here's the mental shift I'm talking about. Here, here's what I pray is true of the bridge. Go ahead and show the next part. When we look at the church as the people, we take care of them and use the building as a tool. Now, I know that to some of you, as you read that, that might seem small. It's like, Andrew, you're just playing with words. I'm telling you, that is a monumental shift to make. And, and here's the really amazing thing. So we're so blessed that God has trusted us at the bridge. And, and many of you are here and you don't have a church background. You're new to church. Somebody invited you, you got saved and you're, you're here. Man, we love you guys. And so you've got no idea what to expect. Portable seems normal in your head. But for some of you, you came from a church background. And so when you, when you see this or when you hear the story, I'm saying it's like, whoa, that doesn't, doesn't seem right. Are we saying we're going to be flippant about the building? Certainly not. We want to be good stewards of what God's given us. But the building is a tool. The church is the people. About a month ago, I hadn't started working on this message yet, but I knew what was coming up. And, and I was watching the Today Show. It was early one morning, watching the Today Show, having a cup of coffee. And I don't know if you guys heard or remember or know about, but earlier this year in Louisiana, there were some church fires. There were three predominantly African-American churches that were burned to the ground. Hate crime, sick, heinous. They were targeted because it was predominantly African-American. They caught the guy that did it. 
But they went down and they did an interview with the pastor of the third church. His name is Fitzgerald Toussaint. I went back and looked it up. And in this interview, uh, and let me read this to make sure I'm saying it right. The, inter- the interviewer from NBC asked this question. How does it make you feel to know that your church is gone? And I love his response. He said, he looked at her a little confused. He said, the building's gone. The church is stronger than ever. And it cut to B-roll footage. And there is this lady, and she is singing at the front, and tears are rolling down her face. And you see other people in the auditorium worshiping. I popped up out of my lazy boy. I said, yeah. The The building is gone, but the church is stronger than ever. This pastor understood what I'm talking about this morning. This pastor understood what Jesus was saying with the ecclesia. Church can't be a building because Jesus said it was people. Number two, church can't be a building because Jesus loves us and died for us. Jesus loves us and died for us. I've shown you a couple examples of already in Scripture of the relationship Jesus has with the church, and it's compared to different things in different places. Uh, In one place, Jesus is called the chief cornerstone. And then in another place, Jesus is called the head and the church is called the body. But the one I want to show you right now is in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus and the church are being compared to a husband and wife relationship. That's Ephesians 5. I'm not going to read all of it, but it's verse 21 through 33 if you want to read it later this afternoon. The verse I want to highlight, though, is verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He loved the church so much that he gave himself up for it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus did not die for a building. He died for the church. He died for people. More specifically, he died for you and for me. And so with all of that in mind, I want us to look at that question that Jesus asked one more time. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? That that top question, the, the best reading for us, just to understand it in this context, who is Jesus to you? There is not a more important question that you'll ever answer your whole life. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you talk to him and pray? Do you read your word? Do you have that relationship with him? And maybe you do. Then the question becomes, is he your Lord? And and the question of lordship is really, who's calling the shots in your life? Is Jesus calling the shots? Or am I doing things and praying that Jesus would bless it? It it is huge. Who is Jesus to you? One of the reasons why this whole idea is so big is because church... It lasts for a couple hours on Sunday morning. I mean, we meet together, and this is the church. When all of us come together, this is church. and It lasts an hour, 
on Sunday morning. But you're getting ready to go back out into the world. And all this week, you'll see people who are lost and hurting and hopeless and helpless. And it's really easy. It's really easy when we think the church is a building. It's really easy to look at those people and say, man, the church ought to do something about that. But when we see the church as us, when we know that we're the church, then our whole perspective changes to what can we do? How can I meet that person's need? How can I be a blessing? Obviously, God has sent me here for a reason. Again, I know it may seem small, but I promise you it's a huge difference. Who is Jesus to you? If you don't know him as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to know him in that way right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to say a prayer, and I believe wholeheartedly. If you mean this in your heart, if you mean it, God knows your heart, and he will save you right there where you are. Here's what you pray. Heavenly Father, I'm tired of running. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short. And so today, God, I open myself up to you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I pray that you would cleanse me. I pray that you would come live in my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.